We are going to uh, look at the life of King Josiah. In uh, we're gonna, this is gonna. Nathan's gonna really enjoy this. Nathan's on AV today, uh, and we're gonna we're gonna start by looking at three verses, which in two Kings twenty-two. Well, two verses in two Kings twenty-two, and one in two Kings twenty-three. But we are going to kind of look at a big overview of King Josiah's life. So that means we're probably going to touch at bits of 2 Kings 22 and 23 and bits of 2 Chronicles 34 and 35. It's okay. We're going to start looking at 2 Kings 22 and start at verse 1. We'll read verse 1 and 2 and then I'm going to jump to 2 Kings 23, 25, Nathan. 2 Kings 22, verse 1. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. His mother's name was Jedidah, daughter of Adiah. She was from Bozkath. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and walked in all the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. And then chapter 23, verse 25. Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did, with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his strength in accordance with all of the law of Moses. So we see King Josiah, he was a king in Judah. So we see he comes to be king when he was eight years old. Are there any eight-year-olds here today? Is anyone eight? Josh, there's one. Anyone else? Is anyone under eight years old? Okay, there's some lots of, lots of you, young people, children. Josiah became king when he was eight years old. Think about that. You might think that's pretty cool. You might think, wow, I get to be, you get to be king at eight years old. We'll learn this was a pretty tough job, a pretty tough gig he was coming into. Okay, so he came to be king at eight years old. He was king of Judah. He was, it was in the time when uh, the people of God had split into two kingdoms. We see way back they asked for a king, the people of God. Uh, and God gave them Saul. Then he gave them David. He gave them Solomon. And then after Solomon and towards the end of Solomon's life, things started to go, well, there were things that went wrong before that, but things started to really go wrong. And the kingdom split. And you get what's then referred to as Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And then we see all sorts of kings with lots of lines of, and he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And a few where it says, and he did right in the eyes of the Lord. And it goes on through the generations, different kings, until we see that throughout the books of one and two kings. And we see, until we see in two kings 17, Israel, under the reign of King Hoshea, falls to the Assyrians. We see that uh, in 2 Kings 17 uh, and verse 6, I believe. In the ninth year of Hoshea, the king of Assyria captured Samaria and deported the Israelites to Assyria. And he settled them in Hala, in Gozan, on the harbour river, and in the towns of the Medes. 
So Israel's been taken off to Assyria. And it says all this took place because the Israelites had sinned against the Lord their God. So they're basically we're left with Judah left there. And at the time they're being ruled by King Hezekiah, who was one of those who it says, and he did right in the eyes of the Lord. He was a good king. And he he did many things, but he, he tore down the high places and altars where it, where Judah and uh, had worshipped other gods. And God delivered them from the Assyrians, the Ju- Judah from the Assyrians. He took, Israel went off to Assyria, but Judah was saved. We're coming, we're getting there. After Hezekiah, we see two more kings who it wasn't said they did right in the eyes of the Lord. We see King Manasseh and King Ammon, who certainly didn't do right in the eyes of the Lord. And they, in the times of King Manasseh, 2 Kings 21, we'll just read the first three verses. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king. He reigned in Jerusalem 55 years. His mother's name was Hephzibah. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, following the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. He rebuilt the high places his father Hezekiah had destroyed, and he also erected altars to Baal and made an Asherah pole, as Ahab, king of Israel, had done. He bowed down to all the starry hosts and worshipped them. And he goes on to talk about how he led Judah in just going after other gods, going after rebelling against God and just going after all sorts of things. And it says that Ammon, his son, who only reigned for two years, did basically the same. Until Ammon was assassinated, basically, by his servants. But the people didn't like that. And they, they said, no, 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 we don't want Ammon assassinated. We're going to make his son king. Josiah. Josiah enters the picture. So we've got a nation that's, that's kind of turned away from God. The people of God have turned away from him. They've rebelled. They're worshipping They were supposed to worship God at the temple and they're worshipping all over the place to all sorts of different things. Different idols, different gods, different gods of the other nations that God had driven out of the promised land. So it's a dark time when Josiah comes in. But at the same time, in another way, it's a slightly comfortable time. We see it saw with King Hezekiah. Hezekiah was up against a big challenge. Israel had just been taken off to Assyria, and the Assyrians are a mighty force. They're, they're, they come against God's people. And Hezekiah has to stand in God and see off that threat. But we see by the time, even, even in the time of King Manasseh, at different points in there, Manasseh's taken off to, to Assyria, and then, he, but then he's let to come back. There's still some might there. And actually, as we look at the reign of Josiah, we'll see that actually the might of Assyria is waning. Josiah is able, as we'll see, to, to have influence over some of the land that was formerly of Israel, that was formerly of the northern tribes. He's able to, to do good work there because actually they're not so strongly held by the Assyrians anymore. Josiah's authority is able to go out 
slightly further. But, in, but because of that, it's a, it's a comfortable time in many ways. The people could be thinking, yeah, okay, there's no real threat. Everything's okay. Yeah, okay, we've got these altars on the hills that we worship the sun and the moon and, and Baal and Asherah and all these different things. But actually, we're pretty comfortable. We're pretty comfortable at the moment. Things seem to be fine. Manasseh reigned for 55 years and we were, we were safe. And actually, we liked what Ammon was doing. Everything seemed good. So into this comes an eight-year-old boy. And from the verses we've read, what we see is that Josiah followed God. Josiah followed God with all his heart and soul. He turned to the Lord. He was faithful in going after the God of his father, David. He could have thought, I can't do this. I can't do this. This task is far too big. I'm just a kid. I'm just a little boy. Or he could have thought, it could have been in the back of his mind, my background is just too bad. My background is just too bad. My, my dad was a king who rebelled against God. He, he, he'd just gone, he didn't teach me the ways of the Lord. Or he could have feared man. Just gone along with the crowd. The crowd didn't like Ammon being killed. They didn't like that he'd been taken out of the picture. Perhaps they were, they were pretty happy with what he was doing. They wanted to carry on in this way. So he could have feared man and gone along with the crowd. Okay, okay, we'll leave everything alone. We'll just carry on. But what we see is Josiah wholeheartedly followed God. And that's what in the New Testament we see. God is calling for wholehearted followers. He's calling for us to follow him faithfully, to go after him. Jesus calls his disciples with that call, come, follow me. Come, follow me. And Later on in Matthew 16, it sounds pretty stark. Matthew 16, 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. Jesus is calling for wholehearted followers, people who go after him. Paul also in Philippians 3 gives a similar kind of message about the attitude that he presses on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So really that's what we're going to look at today. We're looking at what what did it mean in Josiah's life that he wholeheartedly went after God, that he was wholehearted in faithfulness, going after the Lord his God. What can we learn from him? What can we learn from this story? So to do that, we are going to jump about a bit in, to be fair, mainly in 2 Chronicles 34. So what do we see first? 2 Chronicles 34. 2 Chronicles 34 starts the same way that 2 Kings 22 does, but then goes in to fill in a bit more detail about what happened in Josiah's early life. So it was... We'll start at the beginning. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in the ways of his father David, 
not turning aside to the right or to the left. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father David. We'll stop there. The first thing we see Josiah does, in some ways it looks incredibly simple, but he sought God. Josiah sought the Lord. If God has got great plans for us, if God wants us to live for him, if God wants us to go after him, we can't do it on our own. We need him. Our tendency can be that we face a problem and we think, oh, how can I solve this? What can I do? What did Josiah do? Josiah seeks the Lord. Josiah seeks the Lord. How can we do what God has called us to? We need to seek him. How can we follow him wholeheartedly? We need to seek him. We need to know him. We need to get to know him. We need to put him first, as has already been said this morning. Again, Josiah was probably facing opposition, facing trials. There was tough stuff ahead. He was going to take on this, the, the, going to take apart all this idol worship and everything that was, that was in the land. How do we stand up in the face of that? We seek God. We cling to Him. Again, something that's come through already. When we're facing things, when we, when we know that God has said something to us, or when we're facing different things, we can, we can worry about all sorts of things. And Jesus said in Matthew 6, Matthew chapter 6, he tells us not to worry. Matthew 6 verse 31, do not worry saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. Your heavenly Father knows what you, that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Seek him. What is our priority? What, is our, what, what comes first in our lives? Are we seeking the Lord? Are we putting him first? That's what Josiah is doing here. He looks to God. He seeks him. He gets to know him. Because in him we find strength. In him we can find wisdom. James speaks into that, James chapter 1 verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. He gives generously to all without finding fault. We need to cry out to him. To read his word, to, to pray, to get to know God. To seek his presence. And to seek his spirit. To recognize that we need him. Matthew chapter 7. Jesus goes on. 7 verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks you for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? We can face all sorts of things. We can, 
even our daily, daily lives, we can face challenges. We can just face just, just feeling like we just slip into, ah, oh, what's, what's the point of this? But we can seek him. We can seek him. When we ask him, he is generous to give what we need. And what do we see? Josiah sought the Lord while he was still young. Again, I asked if you were eight years old or younger. I'd say even, to be, to be honest, at the point in this story, Josiah is 16. And I'm imagining that almost everyone who would have been 16 here today isn't here. Because they're a new day or they're on the way back. But I would say to you guys who are, who are 16 or under, so that's probably 11 or under today, you can seek God. You can seek God. This isn't something that is just for adults. This isn't something that's just for your parents who can then tell you what God says. You'll hear God through your parents. But you can seek him yourself. You can read his word. God loves to hear you pray to him. Jesus said, let the little children come to me. Josiah sought the Lord when he was young and didn't turn back. He found God. You can know him. You can know him. And you can run after him for all your life. Don't, there's no, it's not, there's nothing to say, I need to wait. I need to wait until I've grown up. Then I can seek after God. Now what we see from Josiah what we see in this story is while he was still young, he sought the Lord. You can seek him today. Okay, so Josiah sought the Lord. He was seeking him. He was trusting him. He was seeking after him. But we see also, as we go on, that Josiah not only sought God, but he believed him. If we carry on, in 2 Chronicles 34, we see, we start again at verse 3. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father David. And in his twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of high places, Asherah poles, carved idols, and cast images. So even there, to start with, he seeks God and he acts. He goes into, he said, God, I know that you are right. I'm going after you. But then this, this start of bringing about change in the nation leads to him sending people to the temple. The temple was in a, in a mess. It was in a state of disrepair. He ends up sending people to work in the temple in verse 8. In the 18th year of, King, of Josiah's reign, this is moving on a bit, to purify the land and the temple, he sent Shaphan, son of Azaliah, and Maseah, the ruler of the city, with Joah, son of Joahaz, the recorder, to repair the temple of the Lord, his God. And as we go through the story, we see that actually, while they're repairing the temple, Hilkiah, the high priest, in verse 14, finds what they refer to as the book of the law. While they were bringing, this is verse 14, while they were bringing out the money that had been taken into the temple of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord that had been given through Moses. And Hilkiah said to Shaphan the secretary, I found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. And he gave it to Shaphan 
And he takes it to the king. Shaphan takes it to the king and in, and he reads it to him. And in verse 19, when the king heard the words of the law, he tore his robes. The book of the law, commentators talk about the fact perhaps this is what we now know as the book of Deuteronomy. Maybe, maybe, it's certainly some of the law of Moses and some of the words that Moses had, God had given to Moses. It talks of what the nation was supposed to do, what the people of God were supposed to run after. What we see, Josiah hears it. Josiah hears it and he knows God is right. He knows God is right. He goes on. He gave all these orders to Hilkiah, Achikam, son of Shaphan, Abdon, son of Micah, Shaphan the secretary and Isaiah the king's attendant. Go and inquire of the Lord for me for the, and for the remnant in Israel and Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. But he makes this conclusion. Great is the Lord's anger that's poured out on us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord. They've not acted in accordance with all that is written in this book. Josiah knows what's come before. He knows the state of the nation. He knows what's, what's happened. And he hears the word of the Lord. And he knows, God, you're right. God, you're right. He's confronted with this. This is hard truth. But Josiah believes God even when the truth hurts. Great is the Lord's anger. It can be easy to shrug off things. We can say, uh, we hear something, say, mm, is this quite right? Is this really what God means? Actually, at the moment around us, it doesn't seem too bad. We're quite comfortable here. We're, there's no destruction here. Everything seems okay. Uh, yeah, okay, the temple's in a bit of a mess, but we're fixing that. Everything's okay. But Josiah believes God. Believes God. God says, no, actually, you're in a mess. We're in a mess. Josiah believes it. Even when that truth is hard to take. Even when the truth is hard to hear. Perhaps we can be confronted with our sin. That's what the people are here. The people are confronted with their sin and the sins of their fathers. They're confronted with, oh, we're in a mess as a nation. We're not going after God. We can have that. We can be confronted with stuff. Why are you going, at, why are you going after that? But it can hurt. We can think, oh, I don't want to listen to that. I don't want to listen to that. But it can be God speaking to us. Either through, through us. It can be God speaking directly to us. It can be God speaking to us through his word. But do we believe him? When we hear these words, they, they can be hard words to hear. Or even, there may not be words about sin we need to turn from. There may not be words about, actually, you've got to change that now. You need to come back to me. But there might be words that take us out of our comfort zone. There might be words that challenge us. But can we hear what God says and go in faith? Josiah believes God. Even in terms of us going into the second half. Going into this second chapter, as Gary referred to it last week. We believe that God has spoken. 
Josiah was confronted with the nation's sin. We've been confronted, if you like, with great promises from God. God is saying he wants, he's given us pictures of, of seven congregations throughout the city. He's given us words about this building being full. He's given us words about the gold coming out of the box, about blessing going out, about things changing, about change coming. That can be challenging. That kind of word from God can even hurt. Obviously, just last week, we were saying goodbye to Mark and Debbie and Grace and Josh. Because God's spoken. God's spoken. God, do we believe him? Can we run after him in faith? That actually, yes, this is painful. Part of this is painful. This is hard. But I believe this is what God is saying. Josiah believed that what God had said in his word was true. So Josiah sought God and he believed God. What's his response to it? Well, one of the things we see is that Josiah is ruthless with sin and with distractions. I'm going to jump into two kings. We've seen that already at the beginning of the of chapter 34 and 2 Chronicles, that Josiah has gone to start purging the nation of all the altars and different things where the people were worshipping other gods. But really the detail in 2 Chronicles isn't, there's not a lot of detail there, it just says he did it. Two kings is a bit more gritty, perhaps. I'm going to read this. 2 Kings 23, verse 4. In 2 Kings, they put it all, it's all collated together here. He's heard the word of the Lord. He's heard the book of the Lord. He sought, sought God. And he comes He comes and commits again to God. But then he does this. This is going to be, it's a bit of a long section. 2 Kings 23, 4 to 16. Okay, so the king ordered Hilkiah the high priest, the priests next in rank and the doorkeepers to remove from the temple of the Lord all the articles made for Baal and Asherah and all the starry hosts. He burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of the Kidron Valley and took the ashes to Bethel. He did away with the pagan priests appointed by the kings of Judah to burn incense on the high places of the towns of Judah and on those around Jerusalem, those who burned incense to Baal, to the sun and moon, to the constellations and to all the starry hosts. He took the Asherah pole from the temple of the Lord to the Kidron Valley outside Jerusalem and burned it there. He ground it to powder and scattered the dust over the graves of the common people. He also tore down the quarters of the male shrine prostitutes, which were in the temple of the Lord and where women did weaving for Asherah. Josiah brought all the priests from the towns of Judah and desecrated the high places from Geba to Beersheba, where the priests had burned incense. He broke down the shrines at the gates, at the entrance to the gate of Joshua, the city governor, which is on the left of the city gate. Although the priests of the high places did not serve at the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem, they ate unleavened bread with their fellow priests. He desecrated Topheth, which is in the valley of Ben-Hinnom, so no one could use it to sacrifice his son or daughter in the fire to Moloch. He removed from the entrance to the temple of the Lord the horses that the kings of Judah had dedicated to the sun. 
They were in the court near the room of an official named Nathan Melech. Josiah then burned the chariots dedicated to the sun. He pulled down the altars the king of Judah, kings of Judah had erected on the roof near the upper room of Ahaz and the altars Manasseh had built in the two courts of the temple of the Lord. He removed them from there, smashed them to pieces and threw the rubble into the Kidron Valley. The king also desecrated the high places that were east of Jerusalem on the south of the hill of corruption, the one Solomon, king of Israel, had built for Ashtoreth, the vile goddess of the Sidonians, for Chemosh, the vile god of Moab, and for Molech, the detestable god of the people of Ammon. Josiah smashed the sacred stones and cut down the Asherah poles and covered the sites with human bones." Even the altar at Bethel, the high place made by Jeroboam, son of Nebat, who had caused Israel to sin. Even that altar and high place he demolished. He burned the high place and ground it to powder and burned the Asherah pole also. Cheery stuff. Well, why have I read that? Why have I read We see Josiah's attitude in that. It's a long list of things he did, but we see Josiah... He's not having anything to do with it. And in fact, it's in stark contrast to his grandfather, Manasseh. We've said already that Manasseh was a bad king and he went off after, he built up the high places, he built all these altars, he went after them. But actually at the end of his life, he's taken off to Assyria and he seeks the Lord. And he comes back. We see that in 2 Chronicles 33. We see the comparison. He's, he looks to turn the nation back to God. 2 Chronicles 33:14. Afterward, he rebuilt the outer wall of the city of David, west of the Gihon Spring in the valley, as far as the entrance of the fish gate, and encircling the hill of Ophel. He also made it much higher. He stationed military commanders in all the fortified cities in Judah. He got rid of the foreign gods and removed the image from the temple of the Lord, as well as all the altars he built on the temple hill in Jerusalem, and he threw them out of the city. Then he restored the altar of the Lord and sacrificed fellowship offerings and thank offerings on it and told Judah to serve the Lord, the God of Israel. The people, however, continued to sacrifice at the high places, but only to the Lord their God. It's interesting. What is that saying there? Manasseh goes for it in a way. He gets rid of the idols. But there's a bit of a compromise. And he doesn't destroy the high places. He doesn't tear it all down and bring the people truly back to what God wants them to do. So we get this odd compromise where the people are worshipping God. But God said, God said, worship me at the temple. The people are worshipping God on these high places and, and altars that have been built to other gods and altars that were, were not God's way. Because Manasseh wasn't ruthless with sin. He wasn't, in that sense, wholehearted at going after what God wanted. Whereas we see Josiah destroys everything. He goes at it. He breaks them down. He burns it. He... He just said, I don't want anything to do with this.
We, the, the writer to the Hebrews encourages us to be ruthless with sin, to be wholehearted in following God. Hebrews 12 verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. It's a battle. This sin so easily entangles us. But Jesus, the one who has defeated sin and death, calls us to be ruthless with it, ruthless with sin. Jesus puts it in a stark picture. He talks of cutting off hands and feet that cause you to sin. If your right eye causes you to sin, sorry, I won't do right eye. Take it out. It's a stark picture, but it's, it's communicating that Jesus is saying, don't go after that stuff. Don't, don't even leave a kind of possibility of it. Go after me. But we can have attitudes that aren't quite, maybe so, so ruthless. We can want to kind of take things as close to the line as possible. We can kind of think, ah, I want to go after God. But this, what I'm doing, it's not too bad. It's okay. I'm not really sinning. Maybe it in and of itself isn't. We can say things to ourselves like, I, I, I can stay up late on my own and watch TV. That'll be fine. That's not going to put any temptation in my way. Maybe. We can go this far in our relationship, but we won't go any further. We can want to take things close to the line. God says, we see from Josiah, no, don't, don't leave a chance. Go after God wholeheartedly. Go after Jesus. He's the one who has made the way for us to be free from sin. So let's go after him. Let's go after him. Be ruthless with sin. Or we can compromise. Like in a sense, it seemed to be under Manasseh. We're going after God, but we are actually allowing this kind of stuff as well. It's okay. We don't want to compromise. We want to be fixed on God. Or thirdly, we can be casual with it. Jesus has set us free by his grace. Hallelujah. He has made us clean by his grace. We don't want to get caught into a casual relationship of, it doesn't matter what I do, because there's grace. It doesn't matter. I don't, it doesn't matter. Ah, there's a song on one of the New Day albums. It's a good song. It's called One Thing Remains. It's on the We Are Yours album from 2011. And there's a rap section in the middle. And the rap section's good as well. It's a paraphrase of... And again, yeah, that's me saying that the rap section's good and that... I don't, I don't do rap. So often I find there's a rap section, I just can't tell what they're saying. I just think, what? <laughs> but I know I'm not, I'm not dissing rap. I just don't get it. <laughs> But this, this is good. It's a, it's a paraphrase in a way of 
of 1 Corinthians 13, talking about love. But it applies it to God. But there's this section, and it just jars with me all the time. I think other people are thinking it jars with them as well. I'm not going to wrap it. <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. I should have just got on with it and then, and then said, uh, I'm not going to wrap it. <laughs> His love is patient. His love is always kind. His love is never jealous. When we mess up, doesn't mind. And it's a paraphrase of the... Yes! Love doesn't envy. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Yes. Yes. There is grace. There is grace. When we sin, when we mess up, when we fall short of the glory of God, there is grace. But it just jars. When, when we mess up, it doesn't mind. It doesn't matter. This is what Jesus went to the cross for. This is what Jesus went to the cross for. This is why there is grace. He does mind. God does mind when we mess up. But he gives us grace. He forgives us. He brings us back. He has made a way for us to stand in him, to be free, to be clean, to be free from sin. And yes, we do fall short. Yes, we do mess up. But let's not be casual with it. Let's not be casual. In the face of this mercy, in the face of this grace, as Paul says in Romans 6.1, should we keep going on sinning so that grace may increase? <sighs> By no means. By no means. Let me find it. By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? I think God wants us to hear this today. But he doesn't want to hear it as legalism. Oh, we need to make sure we don't do that. We don't do that. And we stay massively clear of that. And we don't do this. This is grace. This is grace. He has freed us from sin and he enables us. He enables us to go wholeheartedly after him. To be ruthless with the thing. To think, I don't want to go anywhere near that. I don't want to go anywhere near that. I know I could go here and it would be okay, but I don't want to be tempted to go there. I want to follow after God. I want to go after God. Why would we want to go after the things that take us away from that, from him? Paul goes on to say in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus our Lord. Why would we want to go after something that just leads to death and destruction? I want to go after Jesus who gives life. Who gives us life? With some here, it's been mentioned already, actually, in the worship again. You might be sitting here thinking, but I can't get free from this. There's another 
attitude. We might, we don't want to, we don't want to be deliberately kind of skirting close to the line or deliberately compromising or, or just not being ruthless. But for some, you think, I can't get out of this. I'm stuck in this pattern. I'm stuck in this pattern. I just can't, as Hebrews 12 has told us, I can't throw it off. The truth for you, for all of us today, is Jesus has conquered. Jesus has made the way. Back in Romans 6. Romans 6, verse 6 to 8. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. And then in verse 17. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. If we're in Christ, that is our position. We are no longer slaves to sin. Jesus can set you free. Jesus has set you free on the cross. But in specific circumstances, he can set you free. There is freedom in him. At the name of Jesus, as Ben was saying earlier, that wonderful word. At the name of Jesus. There is freedom. There is life. Josiah was ruthless with sin. And fourthly, he's also humble before God. He's humble before God and he's living for God's glory. Back to 2 Chronicles 34. You see, and they've gone into the temple, they found the book of the law. It's been read to the king. Back to verse 19. We're going to read through to verse 31. When the king heard the words of the law, he tore his robes. He gave these orders to Hilkiah, Ahikam, son of Shaphan, Abdon, son of Micah, Shaphan, the secretary, and Asiah, the king's ascendant. Go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the remnant in Israel and Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that is poured out on us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord. They've not acted in accordance with all that is written in this book. Hilkiah and those the king had sent with him went to speak to the prophetess Huldah, who was the, key, the wife of Shalom, son of Tokath, the son of Hazra, keeper of the wardrobe. She lived in Jerusalem in the second district. She said to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Tell the man who sent you to me, this is what the Lord says. I'm going to bring disaster on this place and its people. All the curses written in the book that has been read in the presence of the king of Judah. Because they've forsaken me and burned incense to other gods and provoked me to anger by all that their hands have made. My anger will be poured out on this place and will not be quenched. Tell the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says concerning the words you heard. Because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before God when you heard that he sp- what he spoke against this place and its people. And because you humbled yourself before me and tore your robes and wept in my presence, I have heard you, declares the Lord. 
Now I will gather you to your fathers and you will be buried in peace. Your eyes will not see all the disaster I'm going to bring on this place and on those who live here. So they took her answer back to the king. Then the king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. He went up to the temple of the Lord with the men of Judah, the people of Jerusalem, the priests and the Levites, all the people from the least to the greatest. He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the temple of the Lord. And the king stood by his pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commands, regulations and decrees with all his heart and all his soul and to obey the words of the covenant written in this book. What we see is Josiah's read the book or he's had it read to him. He knows what God says is true and he seeks the Lord. He sends them to this prophetess. And she basically confirms what Josiah has, has read. Yeah, God, God is angry with the people because of the sins of your fathers and because you're not, because you've turned against me. It would be tempting for Josiah to think, What's the point? What is the point? All I've done is going to come to nothing. All I've done. Look what, look what I've already begun. I've already begun it. I've gone out and I'm purging the nation. We're, we're, we're turning the nation back. I'm restoring the temple. It's, look what I have done. And you're going to destroy it, God. It would be tempting. But what does Josiah do? He hears it. He renews the covenant with God to serve him, to go after him. What Josiah is saying is basically, God, you are right. You are in control. You're in control. What you will do will be right. God, you are good. He's sovereign. And his judgments are right. Josiah recognises this. Yes, Josiah is running after God. He recognises that God is perfectly within his rights to judge. God is perfectly, is the only one who is able to come and judge. Josiah also recognises, and we see actually in this, in this whole passage... His place. He can't change hearts. Josiah can't change the hearts of the people. Josiah brings, he tears down the altars. He tears it all down. He burns it. He does all this stuff. He's turning the nation back. He is committed with all his heart. He is going after God. He is faithful. He is wholehearted. But he can't turn the people's hearts. Only God can do that. For us, we need to recognise this. That actually we want to run after God. We want to do what he has called us to. But in the end, it is God. It is God who brings the victory. It is God who brings success. God who brings life. God who brings change in lives. We see of the people of, of Judah. They follow after the Lord while Josiah is alive. We go to 34 verse 33, 2 Chronicles, sorry. 
2 Chronicles 34, verse 33. Josiah removed all the detestable idols from all the territory belonging to the Israelites, and he had all who were present in Israel serve the Lord their God. As long as he lived, they did not fail to follow the Lord, the God of their fathers. But after his death, it all goes wrong again. And in fact, at the same time, Jeremiah is prophesying that in a sense, this is all, the people aren't truly coming back. The people aren't truly turning to, to God. In this, God speaks through Jeremiah says, this is all a pretense. Josiah is wholehearted, but he can't change the people himself. We have to recognize that God, it is God who saves. It is God who changes hearts. We need to trust him. We need to trust him. We need to trust him with our kids. We need to trust him for core group leaders. We need to trust him with our core groups. For all of us, we need to trust him with our friends. We can do, we can go after God. We can go after what he has called us to do. We can preach the gospel. We can, we can plead with people. But it's God who changes hearts. It is God who does the work in them. But we can have that actually, why has this not happened, God? Almost, and there can be a rightness in that. There can be a rightness of, of calling out to God, God, I really want to see this. I want to see this. But our attitude can become, God, I've tried so hard here. I've, look what I've done. Look what I've done, and yet you're not going to do it. God's sovereign plan will not be thwarted. God is sovereign and God is good. What he will do is good. We even see in the story of Josiah just a, a small example of God's plan coming about. 2 Kings 23, 15. It's whilst he is going out, destroying the altars and setting things right. Verse 15, we read verse 15 before, 2 Kings 23. Even the altar at Bethel, the high place made by Jeroboam, son of Nebat, who had caused Israel to sin, even the altar and high place he demo- even that altar and high place he demolished. He burned the high place and ground it to powder and burned the Asherah pole also. Then Josiah looked around, and when he saw the tombs that were there on the hillside, he had the bones removed from them and burned on the altar to defile it, in accordance with the word of the Lord, proclaimed by the man of God, who foretold these things. What's that referring to? 1 Kings 13. One Kings 13. The man of God comes to Jeroboam, son of Nebat, the first king of the divided kingdom in Israel. By the word of the Lord, sorry, 1 Kings 13 verse 1. By the word of the Lord, a man of God came from Judah to Bethel as Jeroboam was standing by the altar to make an offering. He cried out against the altar by the word of the Lord. O altar, altar, this is what the Lord says. A son named Josiah will be born to the house of David and on you he will sacrifice the priests of the high places who now make offerings here and human bones will be burned on you. And we see all those years later, what God has said, God does. 
What God has said, God will do. In a, in a sense, small and irrelevant point, yes, Josiah also demolished that altar, just as God said he would. We can trust God. We can trust God. We can be humble before him, knowing that he is in control and that he is the one who is sovereign. Without thinking, this isn't fair. Look what I've done. Look what I've managed to do. And yet it's going to be for nothing. We trust God that he will work it out, that he will do what is right. And finally, what is Josiah's response at the end? He's done all this stuff. 2 Chronicles 35. In 2 Chronicles 35, Josiah worships the Lord. Basically, he calls the people to celebrate Passover. In fact, for the first time in this way, since the time of the judges. 2 Chronicles 35, 16. So at that time, the entire service of the Lord was carried out for the celebration of the Passover and the offering of burnt offerings on the altar of the Lord, as King Josiah had ordered. The Israelites who were present celebrated the Passover at that time and observed the Feast of Unleavened Bread for seven days. The Passover had not been observed like this in Israel since the days of the prophet Samuel. And none of the kings of Israel had ever celebrated such a Passover as did Josiah with the priests, the Levites and all Judah in Israel who were there. God calls us to worship him. God calls us to come with wholehearted worship. Josiah celebrated the Passover. He came before God in a way that none of the kings before him had done. He came and came wholeheartedly. God calls us to a life of worship. Jesus calls us to worship in spirit and in truth. We see Josiah was ruthless with sin, but it wasn't just a, you need to not do this. Josiah is focused on worshipping his God. Worshipping his God. We'll go back to the passage we started with. 2 Kings 22. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. His mother's name was Jedida, son of Adiah. She was from Bozkath. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the ways of his father, David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. 23, verse 25. Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his strength. We can look at Josiah. We can look at this life of wholehearted service of God like no other king before or after. He went after God. But in that, and importantly for us, Josiah's story can remind us of another. 
There was no king who followed, not in Judah or Israel. But there was the king that brings in the kingdom of God. There was another young king who came. A king who came as a baby in a manger. A king who, as a young boy, was found in his father's house, seeking after the Lord. But not only was he wholeheartedly in following his father, but he is, in fact, the perfect son of God. Josiah was ruthless with sin in dealing with the altars. But Jesus has dealt with sin. Jesus has dealt with it, broken its power, defeated death and the grave. Through humbling himself, becoming obedient to death. Josiah came to worship. Jesus is the one who is worthy of worship. As we look at Josiah and his wholehearted service, his wholehearted following, we can see Jesus. He is the one who we wholeheartedly follow. He is the one who is calling us to live, to go after me. He's calling us to be all in for him, to wholeheartedly go after him. We have a nation that needs God. We can almost feel like a small enclave, like a a Josiah in a nation that needs God. It's dark. It's dark and in some ways it's comfortable. Will we wholeheartedly go after God? Will we wholeheartedly follow Jesus, going after him? Ask him for more of his spirit. Ask him to help us to go after him into everything that we're going into. As we enter this second half, we're believing God has spoken. We're going after him. We want to see, we want to see this nation turn back to God. We want to see God's plans and purposes coming about. We want to wholeheartedly go after him. Let's pray.